the stench of counsel's procedurian bickering. Edmonton's mandatory masking bylaw is almost surely going to expire on July 1st. We'll take you through the nitty-gritty procedural rules that confused everyone on Twitter Tuesday evening. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 135, where it occurs to me that I'm pretty bad at planning because I was supposed to plug something last week that by the time you hear this episode, it will have been too late. It's back to the future, kind of. We are recording on Tuesday evening, just immediately after this nonsense with procedural rules that we're going to get into. And that's because you have a presentation on Thursday this week. Yeah, long-time listeners will remember my Pecha Kucha Night talk, Don't Run for Public Office, which was subsequently banned from being posted for attacking members of the community. Apparently, the Pecha Kucha committee had never read one of my tweets before accepting me as a speaker. Troy was silenced. (laughs) Free speech. Anyway, I got a DM from the folks at Edmonton Nerd Night uh, saying they had an open slot on uh, Thursday, June 24th for a speaker. And by golly, would they like to hear the band talk? So that's what I'm doing. By the time you're hearing this, I will have already done that. But there'll be some good stuff that'll get posted online afterwards. So, you know, check out my Twitter. We'll we'll have some stuff. So have they read your tweets? Do they know what to expect? You know, I don't know, but I wasn't going to volunteer that information because honestly, if I could get two for two banned talks, that's the ideal. <laughs> well, here's the title. Why your hopes are stupid, your dreams are dead, and the change you want to make is impossible. So it's an optimistic talk. Yeah, I, I'm going to take something from that i'm sure i was gonna say something about optimism and rapid fire because it's a cynical section but you know i oh no no reading these yeah they are pretty cynical speaking of cynicism on to the rapid fire an edmontonian's esports team has come home a million dollars richer after winning a tournament in south korea 19 year old nolan burdick came in second place with his team in a months-long PUBG tournament a game where the map continually shrinks smaller and smaller forcing players into conflict until there's a victor while many have celebrated this local victory, at a point an esports venue was on the slate of potential Rexall Place replacements, others are a bit less enthused. Said Education Minister Adriana Lagrange, quote, I used to tell kids to ignore their homework and play video games to avoid the NDP's ideology-driven curriculum. Now I'm hearing that games are pushing this more with less ideology on unsuspecting kids. And the next thing you know, all our kids will be living densely in the core or with infill neighborhoods, and there won't be a market for new suburban developments. Just unacceptable, end quote. The city of St. Albert has canceled their fireworks display, which normally takes place on Mission Hill, the site of the former Uville Residential School. While St. Albert has said they searched for a new location, they were unable to find a suitable one in time to prepare. Edmonton is still proceeding with its fireworks on Canada Day, though comparatively, it has become a lot harder to complain about the location selection of literally the lowest point in the city to shoot fireworks from. As St. Albert has proven, there are definitely much worse sites. Edmonton has made news for being a Canadian first again, and this time it's for allowing Uber users to book Lime scooter rides within the Uber app. This innovation comes after governments around the globe have started to look at Uber's aggressive business practices, with a California court even requiring Uber to classify drivers as employees going forward in order to counteract some of the company's abusive practices. 
Now, Uber is pivoting, and instead of taking advantage of people, they plan to simply start taking advantage of other Silicon Valley companies in hope of milking tech bros for as much as they've milked poor people. Don't they? Aren't they an investor in Lime or something? It's possible. Uh, I don't do research. I think research. That the joke still works, but I feel like there's some <laughs> kind of ownership relationship. Anyway. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. This episode is brought to you by the well-endowed podcast from the Edmonton Community Foundation. Hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink, produced by Lisa Pruden, the podcast explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. You've heard this before. Let me tell you about episode 98. It features an interview with Shane Scott, who has created an endowment fund to support LGBTQ2S plus students as they pursue post-secondary education. You can find that and other stories of how the endowments the ECF helps people create intersect with the community at thewellendowedpodcast.com or wherever you're listening to this one. Gotta say, you uh, permuted that language about intersection with community and change some prepositions. I have never heard that series of words in that order before. Gotta keep it fresh. I try. It's for you, listener. Speaking of fresh, uh, you won't have to pull that fresh new mask out of your pocket after washing your hands because... Masks are going to be a thing of the past in the province of Alberta. At least that is the uh, speaking municipally decision desk projection. What happened earlier today when we were both watching, Mac? Well, what we should say is what happened recently, of course, is that the province of Alberta hit the 70% threshold of first dose vaccinations, which means we're completely reopening for the best summer ever, Effective July 1st on Canada Day. And we say that with sarcasm, just <laughs> making that very explicit to the dear listener. Sure. Uh, and the province announced at the same time that the province-wide uh, mask mandate would be lifted with some exceptions. And they later clarified that one of those would be transportation. So if you take a bus or something, you still got to wear a mask. But anyway, this has prompted a bunch of questions about mask mandates in municipalities because, of course, Edmonton and Calgary and many communities across the province passed their own bylaws requiring masks. And that came before council today on Tuesday. The recommendation, I think, was a bit surprising. Administration essentially recommended that we drop the mask mandate and coincide with the province and reopen without masks required effective July 1st. Speaking to some of the options, I do empathize with council a little bit because there really was no good option here. You know, if you are of the perspective that province bad, they've been mismanaging this pandemic and, you know, evidence would be on your side for that allegation. But, you know, let's assume you believe that you might be inclined to keep the mask bylaw, but there's some significant negatives with that. For example, business owners. I do not envy a single business owner that would have to enforce a municipal mask mandate after Jason Kenney has said, we're open for the best summer ever, no masks in Alberta. That's going to be a huge source of conflict if it was to stick around. Another concern that was raised during the meeting is that, of course, the virus doesn't know any boundaries. Our regional neighbors will have lifted most of them, their mask bylaws. So there's concern about people in other communities coming into Edmonton or vice versa, where the rules are different and how do you enforce that, which I also agree is a little bit of a, a challenge. But to the options, administration basically said we could do nothing, which means the bylaw will automatically be repealed at the end of December. That's what the, the bylaw currently states. We could repeal it now 
or July 1st, so we could get rid of it right away. Or we could do something like deactivate it after 50% uh, full vaccination has been reached for Edmonton. And that one is really perplexing to me. I'm not sure where the 50% came from, for one thing, and I've never heard them talk about deactivating a bylaw. What they essentially said is it would remain active. It would still be on the books, but I guess they just wouldn't enforce it. In fact, this was a huge point of discussion today, and the end decision was deactivation. That is what council is pursuing here. And what deactivation means in this context is the bylaw would still be on the books, and it would still be you know, a bylaw that administration has access to. In the case of administration's recommended option, option one, which was as of July 1st, masks are no longer required in indoor settings with a couple exceptions. It has the natural caveat that if the province moves from stage three back to stage two, this bylaw would take effect again. Or if the CMOH made a mask mandate, uh, the bylaw would take effect again. And that was sort of administration's concession to counselors that were concerned about, oh, well, do we need to set a different vaccination threshold? Do we need to set something based on the R value? And administration's argument was, well, no, the province in giving their recommendations takes into effect all of those considerations, and therefore any recommendation from the province will have all those considerations baked in, and we can just rely on that. I mean, that does ignore history and the fact that the province initially had a mask bylaw was only because Edmonton and Calgary were threatening to do it on their own. So, you know, <laughs> asterisk citation needed there, but that was administration's argument. And what they essentially proposed. It was just a deactivation of this bylaw. So, I mean, we got to get into the massing, but just very quickly on this point, isn't this a dangerous precedent? If we can have bylaws on the books that we just kind of ignore parts of when it's convenient, isn't that not good? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like we have bylaws for all kinds of things, and this is essentially saying that we've passed a bylaw, but we don't have to follow it. That feels very dangerous to me, a slippery slope. I would also say that the slippery slope of administration has this sort of carte blanche to put the bylaw back into effect whenever they feel like it, because that was a point of questioning. You know, does council need to meet again to reactivate this bylaw if we go back to stage two? And administration said, no, that's not something that we have to consider. I'm a software developer. I like Turing machines. I like, you know, <laughs> if then matrices. I don't think that's what a bylaw should be. I don't think no. we should have programming done on paper in pen in a bylaw. No, I agree. Okay, well, in the meeting today, Dr. Sikora was there to answer questions. He's the chief medical officer for the Edmonton Zone. And I think it was Councillor Nickel that said he's basically been asked every possible mask-related question today. And he answered all of those to the best of his ability. And then we got into Councillor Zadok's questioning. And he, when he was done, put the motion forward to take administration's recommendation forward to deactivate the mask bylaw effective July 1. And that's where things really got interesting, I think. Some of the highlights for me were Councillor Walters, who later apologized for this in the meeting, took his time to ask Councillor Zadok, is this motion not willfully egging on anti-maskers? Would we not be encouraging this? Are you not an anti-masker? John, why won't you put on a mask? <laughs> you know, I may yeah. be paraphrasing the end, but that was that was the needling he was getting at. And while Twitter appreciated it, it, it did violate council's decorum just a little bit. The mayor said he gave him a little bit of latitude, but very quickly moved it along. I think what we need to get into is the result, because normally we're able to tell you the result of the motion very quickly. 
and we can just give a vote and we can say what happened and when. I don't think that's the case with this one because it is mired in procedural cruft. Yeah, it seemed like it was going to be straightforward, right? So this is a bylaw, which means they're going to have three readings. The first one passed 7-6, so close, but in favor. The second one, 7-6, although there was a mistake, I think, with Councillor Walters's vote. It was 8-5 originally, and they had to correct it. So already things were going off the rails. And, and then you were explaining just before the show, Troy, what happens with third reading in these situations? Basically, the procedures for passing bylaws, you have the first reading, you have the second reading, and then you have to wait for the next regular meeting of council to have your third reading. And the design of this is actually quite smart. You know, it allows you to hear from constituents. All, oftentimes, people don't you know, react to issues until they hear about city council passing this new thing. So, you know, it gives a media cycle. People can write letters to their counselors. It gives other counselors some time to think over their decision before they actually put a bylaw on the books. That's the design. Like every workplace, council just takes shortcuts. And almost every bylaw they deal with, they do something called consideration for third reading, which is we want to pass all three readings. We want to make this law in a single meeting. And to do that, they have to pass a motion to consider for third reading at the same uh, meeting. And that vote has to be unanimous. And that's just because, you know, we have this process set out. We're normally going to wait for the rest next regular meeting of council. But if everyone's in agreement that this should go fast, then we'll move on. And because council typically operates this way, it's pretty typical that, you know, even on contentious votes like this one, 7-6, when it gets to consideration for third reading, typically it'll be 13-0. Everyone will just vote okay, I'm on the losing side. Let's just let council make the decision and let's move on from this. That's not the final vote. That's just consideration to have the final vote. Exactly. Right? So that, that 13 nothing doesn't really materially mean anything except we're just going to get to the, the end of this sooner. Yes. And in fact, once consideration is voted on that 13-0, typically the third reading will go back to the split vote. Everyone will fall back on where they were before and it'll be 7-6 again. But that didn't happen today because the consideration for third reading was a 12-1 vote. Councillor Aaron Piquette. Uh, I was watching the video when the vote was called and, and the mayor asked to display it. You see a little smirk from him. He voted no to consideration for third reading, which means, as you've just explained, they couldn't get to that final vote and it would have to wait until the next uh, council meeting, which everyone assumed at the time this happened would be July 5th. Just to mention... Council is live video streamed. You can see every councillor's faces. The daggers on everyone's <laughs> faces when Paquette voted no. It was initially because there have been mistakes in the past where a councillor has accidentally voted no right. on consideration and they had to rescind that. And it's like, ah, ha, ha, we made a mistake. That would have cost us so much time. So for the first couple seconds, we were like, did he make a mistake? And then when they realized that he didn't, there was venom in everyone's faces. <laughs> I actually did speak with Councillor Paquette briefly about this, and he made some really reasonable points about this. One is that this wasn't really an urgent issue. This bylaw, it's not going to take effect tomorrow. The earliest it can possibly affect anything is July 1st. So there's no real urgency to get this passed. And council just got all of this information today. They heard this firsthand information literally that day. And if you consider something like the scope of the pandemic, you know, this year and a half long global event where there's complicated medical information, it does seem sort of weird to have something as large and monumental as an entire indoor masking bylaw be decided 
immediately in a single meeting, in a single sitting, right after you've got the information with no time to process it. That seems weird to me. I mean, that is what they did in August last year when they brought the mask bylaw in initially. Councillor Zadok today, again, complained about how little notice Edmontonians were given when the mask mandate first came into effect for Edmonton. And he and a number of the councillors today did ask exactly this question of Dr. Sikora. They essentially said, is any new information going to come up between now and July 1st or July 5th that would materially change your recommendation? And the answer essentially was no. I mean, it's a reasonable thing he said to either keep it in place or to deactivate it. Either is a reasonable decision to make. There's very little information in the next two weeks that's going to change that. So, you know, to counter that for for Councillor Paquette's position, you know, that's the recommendation from the chief medical officer here. But that's not quite the end of the story because you had missed this. Like most of us, I had turned off the stream until I got a tip to turn it back on. At the end of the meeting, very end, after everyone had tuned out, the meeting came back and Don Iveson had mentioned there is a process that we very typically do where we establish special city council meetings to resolve certain issues. We've done this with drainage issues with FCOR before. He outlined how it was, you know, not out of the ordinary to do something like this. And essentially what happened was there was a motion from John Zadok to establish a new special city council meeting that would take place this Friday. So as you are listening to this listener and at that meeting, they would be able to resolve the question of third reading of this bill. So <laughs> where Paquette seemed to have bought people an extra four days from July 1st to July 5th, in fact, did nothing at all because yeah. the third reading will pass on Friday and masks will disappear on July 1st. This motion without customary notice to set up this special meeting was a 10-2 vote. Councillor Knack and Councillor Priquet were the two sole people to vote against it. So I think your prediction is probably pretty spot on, Troy, that uh, as of July 1st, you won't be required to wear masks except for the exceptions to the provincial rules, which are yet to be fully enumerated. We don't know exactly where all those are going to be. But it does mean Ed that Edmonton now will basically be aligned with everybody else in the region. Uh, Fort Saskatchewan and Parkland County were also deciding about their mask bylaws today on June 22nd. Then everybody else has already either removed or their bylaws expired or been suspended. Calgary, um, who also has voted to remove upcoming, that was at a 7-7 vote. So while the end result is a pretty broad removal of mask mandates, I think to say it's unanimous or to say that consensus has been achieved as very far from the truth. Yeah. I got a lot of flack and some accolades for one tweet, and I think I'd bring it up just briefly because one thing definitely caught my eye in this discussion, and that's it's a 7-6 vote. So that means if anyone on the prevailing side, any of the seven switches it, yep. the result changes because a tie fails, or in fact, it wouldn't be a tie, it would be 7-6 the other way. You look at the five people that voted to... Uh, expire the mask bylaw, Cartmel, Katarina, Zadik, Banga, Nickel, those five, they're always going to do that. There's there's no changing that. Sarah Hamilton and Bev Esslinger, though, there's, there's a little bit of leeway. And I took a look at Bev Esslinger specifically because when you see Bev campaigning or when you hear reports of her in the media, she's always presented as the safety counselor or the family counselor. And, you know, that might come from her previous role as school board chair. It might come from some of her campaignings. And she was involved in some 
traffic safety discussions, though to say she was an ally in any of my reducing of the speed limit efforts would be a lie. Uh, She never really was. But it caught my eye because she didn't seem to waffle at all about this consideration of removing masks. She was pretty solid in all of her questions and in her vote of, yes, I want to expire this mask bylaw. And I think that just with elections coming up, bears remembering that the most vulnerable people right now in Edmonton, I would argue, are our children. They have, before you turn 12, you have no vaccination whatsoever because you can't get a vaccination. Uh, The kids are going to be the next problem. And we're already seeing it with a spike in COVID cases in the 18 and under. If someone was family focused and if someone was focused on protecting children, and she has said the words, oh, think of the children unironically in council before, I think voting against a mask bylaw is the exact opposite. Election time coming up, something to consider. Perhaps not as progressive as the marketing might make you think. No, no editorial comments. Uh, on no that. editorial for me on that. Nope, that's good. <laughs> Your transition could be something around speaking of special meetings because that's what is happening now with this one. There's going to be a special executive committee meeting to talk about reimagined services, which is code and fancy name for paid parking in parks. Yes, this is re- reimagined services review is one of these many now ongoing reviews that administration has undertaken. This one ostensibly started at the beginning of the pandemic and now has become essential, I think is what city manager Andre Corbold called it, to deal with the financial impacts and the changing economic conditions. So they've undertaken a review of all of these services. services. Somehow they decided that the five areas they were going to look at were facility management, fire rescue, fleet management, parks, and recreation centers. Not, you know, the biggest budget line items in the budget, but I guess efficiencies are efficiencies. What they found is that they could save nearly $16 million over the next five years if all of the recommendations are brought forward. The big one that everyone's been talking about, and also in terms of revenue generation to uh, result in some of those cost savings, is paid parking at Emily Murphy Park, Rafters Landing, the Muttart Conservatory, Fort Edmonton Park, and the TELUS World of Science starting next spring with paid parking potentially coming to Horlock Park sometime in 2026 as well. We had talked about this in the pre-show and we were both on the same page that we really don't, I think, need to have this meeting. If decisions are made by council, I have not heard a single councillor come out in support of this paid parking. Even the ones who have said, you know, parking needs to be a strategic asset and we need to transition away from cars, people like Knack and the like, they have all said, nah, I oppose this because it's bad politics. So really, I don't think there's going to be any decision other than let's not charge for parking at these parks. But you had mentioned that you want them to. Do you think this is a good idea? Well, let let me just first uh, expand on what you just said. So there is a motion on the floor moved by Esslinger and seconded by Zadok to remove these parking fees from uh, the reimagined services actions. I thought it was really interesting that in their report and and, and in the, the documentation around this, administration made clear that they can do this without council approval. Council does not need to approve any of the actions that they've got in this report. And in fact, their recommendation was simply that it be received 
for information. Now, as you point out, most of council, in fact, perhaps doesn't think that this is a good idea. No doubt reading the room. Uh, lots of people on Twitter and elsewhere upset about this. Uh, but here's here's my thinking on this. If we're serious about shifting our transportation modes to more active forms of transportation, we have to stop thinking only about carrots and also use some sticks. And I see this as a fairly fair and uh, appropriate tax on drivers. I will provide a counter argument to this, and that is the locations where they're implementing paid parking are not the ones where sticks are required. Somewhere like Horlack Park. I think that's a different discussion, and that's going to be considered in 2026. Right. But the problem with Horlack Park isn't about paid parking because Horlack Park has an overabundance of parking. It's got a way too big of a parking lot. I think it should be transit access only, but that's besides the point. The value of paying for parking in places like these is to encourage turnover. So people don't come for free parking and stay there forever. It allows us to not build more parking and have constant turnover. When we look at places like the Muttart Conservatory, Fort Edmonton Park, and Telus World of Science, those are all places that already have a fairly expensive admission fee. So if we're talking about families enjoying those assets, parking, making it paid, is going to hurt those families, but it's not going to encourage active transportation. Because let's say, you know, you set a $5 parking fee at the TELUS World of Science. For a family of four to get there on the bus, that's $20. The cost of parking in order to offset the cost of getting there via transit would have to be prohibitively high and it would penalize the exact people who we don't want to penalize, the lowest income among us. And in many of these cases, these places have plenty of parking already. It's not a discussion about adding paid parking to limit how much parking lots we're going to build. The parking lots are already there. We're just talking about making, what is it, $340,000 off of them? That doesn't seem worth it to me. I mean, we do this all the time, though. We implement taxes and fees and things, and then we find other ways to develop programs to give some of that money back and to make sure that we don't affect uh, the most impacted uh, and the people that we don't want to negatively impact with these decisions. I think they could do something like that here as well. The GBA plus analysis that went along with this report talked about potentially offering the first couple of hours of parking for free, for instance, um, as a way to mitigate uh, some of what you're talking about. You know, it's not going to be obviously the one decision that is going to make somebody choose active transportation or transit or something over driving. But we need to be having this conversation about multiple influences, multiple factors. There's never going to be one. But right now, everything is weighted towards the car. It's faster parking's free. I don't have to think about it. I can go on my own schedule. They've paved the road six times wider now. So there's lots of room for me to go. Like everything is, you know, stacked in favor of the car. All I'm saying is we can remove some of those things and just put a little bit of a tick on the other side for some of these other options. I don't think is such a bad thing. I'll, I'll, I'll concede the point. I think my primary argument against this is we're using this as the standard bearer of this is going to be the difference between people choosing active transportation in our parks. Most of these places that they're talking about, these Mm -hmm. aren't like Victoria Park, that busy parking lot where there's skating in the winter. Yeah, It's not our River Valley lots. These are ostensibly basically businesses. The Muttart, Fort Edmonton, Tells World of Science, these, these are businesses with 
business parking lots. The Telus World of Science isn't even in a park. It's like in the juncture of two guttural arterial roads. And I think that muddies the discussion a little bit, talking about those as parks. Because if you look specifically, let's take River Valley Road as an example in Emily Murphy Park. The problem is not parking. The problem is that road cuts through our green space. And conversations about how we solve that problem, how we make these parks better, more inclusive places. I think parking plays a component of it, but it's just one very small component. I feel like especially doing this would be using up all of our social capital on the war on cars fight for something that just frankly doesn't matter because these aren't places where parking is a problem. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think we can move on from this topic, but I'll just say one thing. Universally, the commentary I've seen on news articles about this topic was we already pay so much for admission. Why don't we get a free parking validation with the cost of our admission? Which just so woefully misses the point (laughs) about encouraging other modes of transportation. I'll take a free bus ticket just before we close the the, uh, speaking municipally decision desk projection on this. Uh, The decision desk projection is that if it goes to an actual meeting, it will be unanimous against. There is no one who will speak in favor of this just because it has become politically toxic. Yeah. Politically toxic for $340,000. It's just it it doesn't matter. Yeah. Interesting that out of all of this, whatever, how many actions there were, (laughs) this is the only one that people actually talked about. 18 actions. And like most of them are just noise. This is the one that people really wanted to talk about. This is the e-bike rebate of the action items. They pick one lightning rod that doesn't matter and they lock onto it. Speaking of lightning rods, that is one way to generate electricity, but not one of the ways that Park Power does. Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, it offers internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. And if you choose Park Power, you're choosing a positive local business. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kazowski, and we love local at the Alberta Podcast Network. So, you know, it fits like a good old puzzle piece or like Edmonton and parking. Learn more at parkpower.ca. That's all for this week. We made it through, Troy. We didn't even talk about the event that shall not be named taking place on Thursday. It will have happened and this podcast will be outdated by the time you're listening. But cry about it. What are you going to do? Send me an email. (laughs) There'll be a new one next week. Uh, Until then, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.